Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scale, our new series on the do's and don'ts for rapidly scaling startups. Today, we sat down with Holly Wegman, the VP of Marketing at Segment, one of the fastest growing Y Combinator companies of all time. Over the course of her career, Holly's become an expert in scaling marketing teams, from building out the marketing team at Envoy during its early startup days, to leading corporate marketing at MuleSoft prior to their highly successful IPO. Holly gave us her insights into everything you need to know about building and scaling a successful marketing team. She gave us her take on hiring specialists over generalists, her view on why over-communication is key, and why she believes process is overrated. If you want to hear more episodes from our Scale series, you'll find them on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, let's dive straight into the interview with Holly. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's a pleasure to be here. So just at a high level, I mean, I'd love to just hear about your career to date. I know you've worked at some pretty incredible companies like MuleSoft and obviously now Segment. So could you give us, you know, just a sort of quick rundown of your career to date? Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. Um, I, I have been really fortunate. I have worked with some really great companies. I've learned a lot, actually, too. I, I would say in terms of career rundown, I've worked with very early stage companies through the IPO stage and then worked with Fortune 500 companies. So I think that that's made me really fortunate. And I've also been able to run all kinds of different functions in marketing, so product marketing, brand, comms, and growth. And I think that it's made me more versatile. So I'm really happy for the career that I've had. Great. And so specifically today, we kind of wanted to talk about sort of growing and scaling marketing, obviously something that you've had great experience with. Could you maybe give us a quick overview of how the marketing team at Segment is sort of structured today and how that has evolved since since you've been there? Yeah, absolutely. It's changed so much. Right. I've been there about a year and a half now. Uh, when I joined, we were six people and we were all generalists. So we all did everything it took. And um, now we're a team of 20. Now we're organized more into functional areas. Right. We have what we call them pillars, which you know, is the thing that holds up the building. Sure. And in marketing, we have um, the pillars of product marketing, we have a brand pillar, a growth pillar, and a PR, AR pillar. Right. And so, I mean, I presume that's pretty cross-functional as well. I presume they're not four silos in themselves, are they? That's something we work really hard to avoid. So right. I think a lot of us have just been hired in the past year or two. So we're, we're sort of like a team family and sure. we do talk all day like a little beehive buzzing around each other. So right. yeah, we do try to break the silos. And was that structure similar to MuleSoft maybe, or is that like completely different? I would say at the top level, it's sort of similar. Mm. I think MuleSoft had other nuances, especially as the company scaled even more. You start to see things like content marketing coming out and being maybe a pillar of its own, or you start to see things like customer marketing being its own pillar. And that's something we're actually, customer marketing is something we're we're starting to see as a sub-pillar within marketing already now. Sure. And do you think then you'll probably spin up those functional areas at Segment down the line? Do you think it's just like a natural evolution of marketing team as they grow? I do. And I do think that which pillars get bigger or, you know, which ones spin up are really in tight response to what's happening with the company and the goals of the company and the growth of the company. But I anticipate for certain we will be adding more pillars. Right. And I suppose just out of interest, I mean, when you are deciding what function to spin up next or, you know, who are the key hires that you want to make, you know, what are sort of the I guess, the inputs that go into you making that decision? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think a lot about what is coming for the company in the next, not just quarter, but next year. Mm. So for instance, if we're going to be focusing on something on the roadmap, a big new product, I think, okay, marketing is going to need to make sure we can make that successful. So are we teamed up, right, to do that? Or something that sales is doing, we're focusing on a new market. Similarly, I might think how we change our team to accommodate that. Sure. Obviously, the target buyer for a segment, I'd imagine, is quite technical, maybe? Oh, that's great. Yes. <laughs> Most people think, uh, some people think marketing, some people think a lot of things, but you kind of nailed it. We we think of it as, uh, we call it the technical buyer, the right. technical person in the company, and they can be in marketing, they can be in analytics, they can be in engineering. They can, there's a lot of places they can be, but yeah, we call it technical buyer. And then I suppose that then impacts the type of marketing that the type of tactics that you deploy i mean i guess if you're quite a marketing to to technical folks you know some particular tactics are going to resonate more than others i presume i think that's true to an extent i think people are people so people yep. enjoy certain things you right. know we we just launched a new podcast for instance which we're really excited about we think that that'll appeal to a lot of people technical people and, and sure i mean engineers still like to read blog posts and exactly listen to podcasts, you know. exactly <laughs> so there's some things that we do which we want to have a broad appeal but when it's a technical audience i think the key thing that we're focusing on is making sure that we're very transparent about what we're we're doing in the product, how is that innovating and making everything accessible to them in a way that is in a channel or in a manner which they're very comfortable with. The key thing for us is authenticity of voice and directness. Sure. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of when you arrived at Segment, you know, you commented that it was a team of six, probably extreme generalists, you know, everyone was wearing many hats. And as you've grown, have you seen that shift more towards specialists and like what are sort of the trade-offs and sort of pros and cons that that, that happen with that? Yes, I think it's true. We have shift towards more specialization. I would say the trade-offs there are we have to focus more on communication sure, because we need to make sure that everybody in the org are communicating both with each other and that we're also communicating with the rest of the company. Right. So we set up a lot of different mechanisms to do that. We have ways to communicate with the whole company, which we have great shipped Slack channel. We have um, our company All Hands, which is really a nice way for us to share some wins and bring the company along on what marketing's doing. Another thing we do as these functions arise is we try to make sure that everybody in a function, generalist or not, know what everybody else in marketing are doing. Right, okay. And I think that's really important not to get in your specialist silo. I just do email marketing. I have no idea about events or I have no idea about whatever else it is. Yeah. So I think that that way when someone comes to almost anyone in marketing, we kind of all know the same answers. And the last thing that I love about Segment is everybody have ideas of what we should do. It makes marketing so much easier. So we have this uh, (laughs) mixed bag. Um, I would say, no, I actually love it. It's it's less pressure on me to have ideas, less pressure on all of us. So we have this uh, cool Slack channel, we call it Marketing Ideas, where people communicate with us what their ideas are. And so that the specialists in different functions of marketing get to hear, you know, this is a cool email I got, or this is a billboard I saw. And sure. I think that kind of helps us unify more. I think maybe some, sometimes the challenge with hiring so many specialists is, you know, you get these eye-shaped people, you know, and when in reality you need this sort of, you still need a core set, I think, of generalist skills. I think that 
all marketers need, but obviously they can have a deep focus, which is, you know, incredibly beneficial. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So if we want to take a step back for a second and actually just think about, you know, org structure, mm-hmm. how do you think about approaching high level changes to your org and how do you go about sort of communicating that? Because obviously, you know, when a marketing team is going through like a reorg or going through some large functional changes can be quite stressful for, you know, ICs on the ground. Like how do you go about sort of bringing people along with that, with those changes? That's true. It can be stressful. It's it's good that you you know that. And I think a lot about that. And I think one foundational thing is to make sure that everyone understands we're in a startup and changes are coming. Right. And so everyone are aware that at any time things might have to change in response to the business. When you're growing as fast as Segment is or as Envoy was or MuleSoft was, change is inevitable. You're almost like a new company every quarter, I say, right? So I I make sure that everyone in marketing know we're going to change. And that that softens a little bit of the anxiety around changes that might happen in the org. I also am very sensitive to the needs of the business and structuring communications around org changes or decisions to make org changes around what's happening in the business. So if it's going to be a big year for us with product and we're going to launch a couple new products Mm -hmm. or do a, a big exercise there, I help the team understand the changes and how they tie to what we're trying to do as a company. Right. I think that's important. And the last thing, I am very sensitive to thinking of change in terms of costs. So for instance, it it's important to think, for instance, PR, AR, maybe we do those things in-house rather than spend to do them externally or a design team. And so when it comes to org structure, I am thinking about costs as well. Right. I think with a growing team, the the challenge again is sort of investing in, you know, processes again. Maybe when there was a team of six people, you can kind of get away with very lightweight processes and a lot of knowledge is kind of passed on by osmosis. But I think as, as the team grows, you know, the need for, you know, more and more processes just is, is kind of inevitable, you know, to help put, you know, foundations on the team. But then I think on the flip side of that, there's the challenge of kind of too much process, which it becomes like a straitjacket for people and people who like working in early stage startups, you know, also like having lightweight processes. So like, how do you get that balance sort of right, that segment? I have this image now in my mind of all these people in straight jackets. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's a metaphor, don't process worry. Process is a terrible thing, yeah. you know. But I actually, I, I will say, and this might be controversial, but I really hate process. Okay, interesting. And maybe that's why I gravitate into startups, um, I, I would say. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I certainly see the value in process because it helps people predict what's coming. It helps people understand how to prioritize. I think it can be at odds with moving quickly Mm. to your point. Mm. I also think that one of the things I like to do is, you know, with my team, we think a lot about, yes, let's have the appropriate level of process, but at the same time, don't let process take over. So for instance, if it's going to take you an hour to do the process, to get the thing done and only 10 minutes to do the thing, and you're not going to break the company, just do the thing and just ignore the process. And so I think it's helping people feel empowered that we've got you on this and we want you to move fast when it makes sense and you have the autonomy to do that. Right, yeah. And I think it's, I always find process, again, I'd agree with you. I mean, lightweight, the more lightweight, the better. I think what we found is it becomes particularly important when you're kind of like onboarding people as well is that, you know, the things that you just do naturally every day you know, someone coming fresh in the door, it doesn't have that, you know, historical context. So just actually giving them the sort of guardrails in the beginning to sort of get up and running, but again, making it sort of uh, as lightweight as possible. I agree. 
So if we want to talk about maybe planning, obviously you're going into FY20 now and you're sort of probably a good question to be asking when it comes to sort of like planning your marketing for the year ahead. So whether it's on a weekly, monthly or or sort of quarterly basis, you know, planning actually gets, you know, a lot more complex the more and more functions that you have. As you said, you know, you've got like your sort of three or four pillars at the moment, you know, maybe more in the future. Are there particular tactics that you found successful when it comes to sort of planning, you know, a year in advance? Because as you said, it kind of feels like the company's different every quarter. So how do you create a year-long marketing plan? Yeah, it's a great question. It's funny, I'm I'm sitting here thinking... I'm just getting used to writing 2019. <laughs> it's 2020. I can't tell you the, the disconnect that I have. Like halfway through the year, I think it's already 2020. But yes, we are planning for 2020. And um, I, I actually, even though I have that reaction to process with planning, I actually think it's really important. At Segment, we are big believers in the measure what matters. Mm. Um, where we have OKRs. And we have a pretty mature, in my opinion, being at many different companies, planning process. We find it helpful in marketing to have a planning lead who helps us coordinate across marketing okay. and across the rest of the company cross-functionally. And is that is that yourself then, is it? or Myself and one person who designates part of their time at each quarterly planning cycle oh, okay. to do that. So we do a, a whole team marketing planning kickoff where we sort of think about the whole year and then the first quarter. And then the planning lead will take follow-ons where we're talking through what might be the plans. And with those plans, things will pop up where actually we need sales to tell us something or we need product in order to make this. And so what we'll do is break from that and we'll go into the rest of the company and then my planning lead will work to make sure that the other teams are connected. We're gathering the right requirements and things from people who might be relying on us and people we might rely on, like the design team, for instance. And we're integrating that all together. And we, and we do it fairly quickly. We try not to let planning go on and on. And I think that creates strong alignment um, with the cross-functional teams. And then we also double check that everything that we're doing really maps well to the company level. Sure. And as a, one of the executives at Segment, we think very thoughtfully about how do we structure the company level goals, make sure that we have the feedback from the company and give good guidance, but then give empowerment to people to prepare their plans. Right. Yeah. But I mean, to your point, you know, there's no point creating a, a marketing plan in isolation if, you know, design have no visibility into what's, you know, coming down the line or if, you know, it doesn't match with what sort of features and products are going to be launched, you know, Completely. in the next couple of months. It's as if you're paving a road to disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, cool. So, I mean, just, just to wrap up, obviously you've been working in extremely high growth environments now for the past couple of years. Obviously the nature of, you know, working a startup, you're going to get a lot of stuff right, but a lot of stuff wrong at, at, at the same time, I'd imagine. And what are some of the you know, the high level lessons that that you've learned about sort of scaling marketing teams? That's a great question. I think about lessons and mistakes probably more than I should. Not that I'm <laughs> I, beating I myself up. I personally dwell on mistakes a lot. So. <laughs> it's just, I think weirdly, I think the personality type who, who does dwell on these things weirdly is it's because you're going through a process of trying to learn from it yeah. and trying to figure out how do I do this better <laughs> yeah. next time. So I, I definitely made tons of mistakes. I, I would say there's some themes in, in, in maybe the kind of recent, especially in fast growing startups. One mistake and something I've learned a lot from is not maybe keeping people informed as the company grows. Right. So for instance, if you have 
something happening in marketing and in quarter one, let's say, you, there's a, about three or four people you need to keep informed. Well, by quarter two, the, the team's grown so much, there might be six or seven people you need to keep informed. And I think you might leave them off the list of who needs to be informed about this thing. Sure. And then that can, that can be, you know, a lesson that you need to really think through. Okay, this, this organization is constantly changing. Who needs to be informed about what? And then right. finding ways to keep them informed. Another thing for me and the other second kind of theme when I think about what I'm working on is, is listening enough. Just by listening and observing, you can head off so many problems, whether it's maybe someone's unhappy, their face in a meeting, their reaction. You can see maybe if a project might be going off track right. just by listening to what people say, giving them space. Signals, yeah, yeah. And, and I think one of the problems I have is I'm, I'm moving quickly. I'm trying to keep people informed. I'm not ears enough, quiet, right. listening. And so literally at home, I have pinned to my wall this uh, little note that says, the quieter you are, the more you can hear. <laughs> Like Which that. seems so obvious, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that's uh, something that as a lesson for me, I'm working on. Great. Excellent. Well, Holly, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to, to talk with you today. It's just Cheers. a joy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.